Look, our brains are great at lots of things, but remembering passwords is not one of them, especially not secure passwords. Let's free our brains from being password managers and get something way better. 1Password. One 1Password one keeps everything private and in sync across multiple devices. 1Password can't see the passwords or sensitive information you store in 1Password, so they can't use it, share it, or sell it, and neither can anyone else. I've been using 1Password for about 10 years now, and it's made my life so much easier, especially using it with Touch ID and Face ID. It's the first thing I install on any new phone, computer, or tablet I'm using for myself or my family. And all you have to remember is one strong account password that protects everything else your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. And I love that something I use to save me so many hours, I can't even count them all, is something you can try too. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash beyond for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash beyond. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepassword.com slash beyond. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher. This is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm talking with someone that has been behind my productivity. It's Stever Robbins, creator and host of the Get It Done Guy podcast. He's been doing productivity podcasting for longer than I have by, wow, at least five years. We get into that very briefly. And then we enter into a conversation where we talk about the subjects of parallelism doing two things at the same time, as well as talking about automating and delegating and other top productivity tips that he has delivered on his podcast. It's great to talk with Stever after all this time of listening to him. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. We get into some of those things that are kind of, you know, the, the basics of productivity, or I should say some of the places where the friction of productivity rubs against your life and how you can maybe smooth out some of those edges. So I know you're going to enjoy this conversation with Stever Robbins. So I'll get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation with Stever Robbins. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Stever Robbins, the get it done guy. Welcome to the show, Stever. Oh, thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here. You've been doing this so much longer than I have. And in the world of podcasting, air quotes, um, <laughs> like a year is more like a decade, almost. It, it kind of feels like, right? Like you've been doing your show, Get It Done Guy, you said since what, 2007? Since 2007, yes. It's... Oh, gosh. Yeah. So I've been listening to podcasts since 2005 when iTunes – I was sitting in my data entry day job and uh, – iTunes on the Windows, the Dell Windows machine that was sitting there uh, said, I have an update. And I said, OK, cool. It's a it's a bathroom and coffee break time. So I hit I hit update and went and did those things and came back. And then I look on the sidebar and instead of music there to play, uh, I also saw this little thing called podcast and I clicked in and I started listening. And so pretty soon after that, I mean, I, I mean, I was diving into everything. But your show was one of the ones that I was listening to at and uh Gosh, I, you've been doing it way longer than me. I started this in 2012, so you've got like five years on me. And I think you're doing more than like one a week, if I'm not mistaken, or at least you were at one point. 
Uh, well, I generally do one a week. Sometimes I do extra episodes. And something that I wanted to start doing, but we haven't really arranged yet, <clears throat> is I want to start doing episodes that would be between the regular episodes. So I would I would be doing two a week or maybe six a month, something like that, uh, which are more interview episodes. My existing podcast is five, five to seven minutes a piece, very actionable tips, uh, very tactical for the most part, and humorous and presented from my point of view and from my experience and, and things that I know about. And what I want to do is start adding a few more, which would, again, these would be almost like a separate podcast interleave between, which would be more interviews and interviews with other people who were in this space. I, my topic is business and is productivity. It's work less and do more. Uh, well, the title is the get it done guys, quick and dirty tips to work less and do more. But my whole emphasis is how do you get the results you want with as little work as possible? And sometimes what that means is the kinds of things I talk about on the episode, which is how to optimize your personal workflow, what kind of habits you can develop, stuff like that. But sometimes it's larger things. Because if you work in an organization, getting stuff done depends on other people, and it depends upon how the other people are organized and arranged and the processes between people. And I don't actually use words like process in the podcast itself, because that sounds way too consultanty. But, uh, you know, it, it there are higher level things, <clears throat> excuse me, which are things I could interview people for. So I'd like to start doing some extra ones. But at the moment, I haven't really put together a proposal and pitched it yet. So you're you're hearing it here first. Wow. Very cool. So here's the thing. I know that on my part, though, I've had this kind of, oh, man, to be able to do like a five to seven minute, you know, just quick, very actionable, uh, for lack of a better word, monologue instead of a conversation uh, that's highly practical is something I've had a little bit of, you know, an envy of your episodic structure. I, I want to encourage you, like, I think you would do really well with doing what you're wanting to do because, there's something exciting about having the conversation. Stuff comes up that you weren't necessarily even planning on talking about like this. I wasn't planning on talking about this with you, but I, I'll take the opportunity for sure. Well, you know, the grass is always greener, which is, which is why I want to be able to do both kinds of podcasts. I want to be able to do some that are interviews and some that are my own stuff. Because while, you know, I freely admit that I'm, I am just the most prolific and amazing, incredible productivity content generator on my entire block, um, there are actually other people who have things to say that I haven't thought of. And so after 551 episodes, I'm like, please save me, help. It's, it's, it actually gets hard after 500 and some odd episodes, you know, to, to come up with, okay, what's a new topic that I haven't done before? Of course, realistically, I could just start repeating topics and no one would be able to tell because they would have to listen to 500 episodes sure. to know. But sure. Well, the other thing is, is that, uh, you know, and I, I've, I've had to retread topics before because guests want to talk about it, but also there's something still to be mined there. Like having, have, like, for example, um, I think we're going to talk about um, multitasking sort of, but not really. And that's something that I know I've talked about with at least a handful of other people, but you've got something to say about this that none of them have said. And that's what makes it exciting and interesting. Got it. So, okay, I was about to say, yeah. So, speaking speaking of topics and yes. and original things, what 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 is like the most awesome and amazing topic that I could address that your listeners would just go, wow? And I know your listeners are listening to me ask you this question. So, listeners, I'm asking that to you too. The difference being that you can't actually tell me because it's pre recorded <laughs> from your point of view. Yes. So, <laughs> talk into your phone and tell us now what you would like. This is not an interactive podcast. Never mind. Um, parallelism. I was not aware of this term, or at least that it meant this, 
when I was going through some of the stuff that I knew you were talk you were you were able to talk about with me, this is something that came up, and it was just basically this idea of this is a way to get around get away with <laughs> or have the excuse of quote multitasking that we know that that's bad but actually getting it to work for you. And I, and I hope I've enticed the listener by doing that, by saying it that way, because truthfully you can't multitask or you, one, you either can't do it or it uh, degrades the amount of work or the quality of work across the board about what you're doing, but you've got a way around that with parallelism. Yes. So, so, um, uh, I guess people presumably know, but for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, uh, multitasking turns your brain into something that resembles oatmeal but is not nearly as nutritious. And that's multitasking defined as split attention. That's when you're trying to, to follow two different things at once. So you're browsing the web on your phone and attempting to have a conversation, and there's some part of your brain that is hopelessly naive that actually believes the person you're talking to can't tell you're on your phone. Um, there's another part of your brain that is trying to dodge the fact that they are attempting to hit you over the head to get your attention. And then there's the third part of your brain that's pretending to be there with other, with the other people. And our brains are simply not made to do that. So when you try to do multitasking in that sense, where you're doing multiple things at once, or you have two documents open, which, which are separate, uh, and, and they're not related to the same thing, you're simply not going to be able to do that. And interestingly, one of the first things to go is your ability to assess how productive you are. So not only are you not going to be able to multitask in those moments or not be able to produce good results, you're not going to be able to assess correctly whether or not you're producing good results. I've always thought that was just that was just like the universe's joke on us. Yeah, because in your heads right there, it's this obvious math of I'm doing I'm not just doing one thing. I'm doing two things. So I've doubled my output. Right. Which you haven't. Um, uh, I mean, you think about it. You really can't. Uh, well, okay. I guess, I guess if your brain could split in two and you could do two tasks literally at the same time, then you would be doubling your output. But what actually happens is you switch back and forth between the tasks is, you know, unless one of the tasks is completely brainless. Like if you are, if you are washing the dishes and carrying on a conversation, the washing the dishes is probably brainless enough. I mean, think of this in terms of your brain. Basically, if you have to activate the same parts of your brain for both tasks, you're, you're going to instead fry your brain instead of actually doing a good job. But so this is a technique that I found. I call it speed dating your tasks. And I have to give credit where credit's due. I was first exposed to it by a man named Mark Forster, who wrote this fabulous book called Get Everything Done and Still Have Time to Play that I read like 12 years ago. And it's super simple. And this, interestingly enough, works. And I have theories as to why, but I don't know that it's ever, I don't know that there's any, like, like I've, I haven't seen studies about it. In fact, even with the multitasking, I don't think it, they have theories as to why it doesn't work. We know that it turns your brain to mush. We're not completely sure what the mechanism is for turning your brain to mush. But with speed dating, what you do is you make a list of five things. And I find five seems to be the optimal number. If you do too many, uh, you lose the momentum and, and you do start to suffer from, from the time it takes to switch between tasks. And if you choose too few, then, then you don't have like this, the, the right level of brain excite, excitation. Um, so choose five tasks, write them on a piece of paper, take a, oh, you can't see because this is audio only. Well, if you could see, you would see that I'm holding up an egg timer with, uh, that I can set and I can go, that's me counting up to five minutes, set the timer for five minutes, press go, start working on the first task and just do nothing except work on the first task. Uh, 
the instant the timer goes off, immediately switch to the second task. And this is what's so interesting, is do not reach a breaking point. Do not reach a feeling of conclusion on that. Because what you want to do is leave the sense of incompletion. And I forget the name of it. There's actually a scientific name for your brain needs closure on things. And you are specifically not closing that technique. Or sorry, you're not closing that task. Then go to this task number two, work on that for five minutes, three, four, five, then take a five minute break. So that's 30 minutes. Now do it a second time. And that's another 30 minutes. So now you've spent one hour and you have done five minutes twice on each, each of your five tasks. Now lengthen it to 10 minutes. So you do 10 minutes on each task and then take a 10 minute break. That's your second hour. And then if you want to, you can lengthen things to 15 minutes or 20 minutes. To be perfectly honest, I almost never get past 15 minutes. What happens with this and why this seems to work as far as I can tell, and again, I'm giving you my subjective impression of why I believe it works, um, is you're not doing the tasks at the same time. You're doing them sequentially, but you're limiting the number of tasks that you're doing. And your brain can pull all of the information you need close to consciousness. So as you do each task, you you can switch back and forth rapidly between them, which you normally can't switch back and forth rapidly between tasks. But the reason you can in this context is you're only doing these five tasks, you're repeating these five tasks. So your brain keeps just that cluster of information readily accessible to you. Interestingly enough, there's a lot of other things that it does that aren't that that aren't obvious. So a lot of times, if you are, if you have five things you need to get done and you're working on one, there's some part of your brain going, Oh man, you know, I'm working on my expense report, but I know I also am going to have to get to working on my resume later today. And then when you're working on your resume, you're thinking, Oh man, I know I'm working on my resume, but there's still those few expense reports to get finished. Ah. But when you're doing speed dating, what happens is your brain knows you're going to get to the other task and you're going to get there soon, just five minutes. The other thing is, a lot of times the reason we procrastinate things is we think that they will take forever or that they will just be unpleasant and go on and on and on. But if it's just five minutes, you know you're just going to have to work on the unpleasant thing for five minutes. So by giving yourself a limit and by telling your brain you're going to get to everything and by actually then doing it and getting to everything, it just eliminates the mental resistance. And I find that that the most productive days I have are when I pull out tasks and speed date. And interestingly, I don't do it nearly as often as I could or probably should. It is the, it is one of the most effective productivity techniques I know. And weirdly enough, it's like my brain is like, no, don't make me speed date because then I'm going to be productive. Um, but, you know, brains are very strange things. <laughs> What's the longest session that you've ever done of this speed dating? Probably three hours, three, uh, maybe four hours. I've never been able to do it for one complete day. I just, I can't go. As you, if you try it, you will discover you really get a lot of momentum and like you end up like totally gearing up your brain power. And after about four hours, smoke starts to come out of my ears. My, my screen melts. My keyboard begins to malfunction. And, and I know I have to, to drop back down to my normal pace. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right 
right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So speed dating is like the most revved up way I know to do things. The second most revved up way to do I know to do things, uh, and stop me if I'm just going off on too many tangents here, uh, are do-it days. Are you familiar with those? Have you heard my episodes on do-it days? Okay, yes, but remind me because I've got to pull this back up into the front of my memory here. Sure. Okay. So, uh, first of all, again, credit where credit is due. I learned these from a man named Thomas Leonard, who invented the personal coaching industry, as far as I can tell, back in the 1990s. A do-it day is really simple. You get a bunch of people, hop on a conference line, and uh, at the beginning of the day, and you declare, here's what I'm going to get done this day, and here's what I'm going to get done in the next hour. And then you hop off the line, and you go do it. And then you hop on the line at the top of the next hour, you do a check-in saying, here's what I've done last hour, here's what I plan to do next hour. You hop off the line. And then you come back an hour later. And I have been running these now for um, years and may actually be older than some of the people listening to this, which, which, which is why I'm deliberately engaging in extreme denial. And what happens is, so do-it days sound really easy, and they are, I mean, are, are, are really minimal in terms of structure. But if you look at everything we know about the psychology of getting people to do things and the psychology of distraction, it turns out that, that as simple an idea as a do-it day is, it activates like five or six different principles that are known to have behavioral effects on people. So with a do-it day, you check in every hour. And interestingly, today is a do-it day for me. So at the, at the top of the next hour, I'm going to be checking in with my group. And with a do-it day, one, you're making a public declaration of what you're going 
to be accomplishing. So you have, you have peer pressure. You have the fact that you've made a public statement. Uh, two is because you have hourly meetings and you have a timer set to do that, it calls your attention back every hour. So if you got distracted and you're on social media or you're doing this or you're doing that, when that buzzer goes off at the top of the hour, you know that you, you stop and reassess and go, oh, wow, I actually just wasted the last hour. I'm going to reorient for the next hour. It also uh, gives you time pressure because it is not at all uncommon. At the top of the hour, you'll say, I'm going to work on invoicing all hour long. And then five minutes before the next check-in, you look up and you're like, oh my God, I haven't worked on invoicing at all, but there's no way I'm going to say that to the group. So you sit down and like in five minutes, you grind out six invoices. So there's the time pressure element. And then the final element is that because you have to state what you're going to do the next hour, you actually have to stop and think. You actually go, oh, huh, what am I going to do the next hour? And it just takes a couple seconds, but it's this deliberate come back from distractions and then consciously refocus on where you want to go the next hour. And that combination of all of those produces overall the most productive day that I know how to produce. And that's consistent. I've run these for literally thousands of people. And by far, I would say probably 97% of the people who have attended have said it was the most, it was one of the most productive days they've ever done. Um, the other 3% are grumpy people who, who need more chocolate cake in their lives. But the 97% are absolutely right. They're incredibly productive. And sometimes within a do it day, I will break down one or two of the hours into speed dating. So I'll have a, I'll have a, a turbocharged day and then a super turbocharged couple of hours in the middle of the day. I did the math here on the four hours. Yes. Okay. Cause that's why I asked, I was like, okay, so what's the most you've ever done? So four hours, 60 minutes in an hour, that's 240 minutes. And then if we're talking, uh, five minute, you know, or actually five tasks, if you divide 240 by five, you get 48 minutes for each of those five tasks mm-hmm. right there in that four hours. And so I imagine a lot of people out there are thinking, okay, well, if I were to take five tasks, and say, okay, for the next hour, I'm going to work on that one task. Think about it right there from just a flat-out assumption math perspective. Five tasks times one hour each is five hours, which by doing the speed dating, you've already cut an hour off of that, let alone the fact that what I when I did the math and divided it, it's only 48 minutes. So it's not even an hour per task. You're saving uh, – I'm not going to go that far into the math, but more than an hour – uh, you know, savings, scraping it off. And again, some of these tasks that maybe you'd be better off doing uh, are grabbing stuff that, you know, OK, it's not going to take me 48 minutes to do this one task. This is more of a 15, 20 minute thing. So I'll round up five of those and then do one hour or maybe an hour and a half or two maximum and knock all those things out. Yes. It's, it's, it's very interesting because there's a lot of factors too. One is just how much time you're spending on something. Yeah. The other is like, how focused are you while you're spending that time? Uh, you know, et cetera. And, um, at the end of the day, and I'll tell people a secret here, even though I have this productivity podcast and yada, 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 I'm not actually a giant fan of productivity. I know that's going to sound weird, but what I find is what I'm a fan of is people having happy, wonderful, joyful lives. That sounds like really worthwhile to me. And a lot of times people believe that productivity will get them to that. And my experience is that it won't. 
I started off in the computer industry back in the 1980s, and the theory was computers were going to give us all this free time. They haven't. In fact, as far as I can tell, computers have made life more complicated for many of us, and we now have to spend more time to get the same amount of stuff done. Now, or, or, or to get the minimum amount of stuff that we need to get done, done. Now, in fact, we are getting things done that we could never have done 30 years ago. We can do photo editing that's amazing. We can produce podcasts. We can distribute media. The problem is our ability to do so has raised the playing field to the point where we have to do all of that now just to be in the game. And at the end of the day, productivity, in my mind, only matters if it results in a better life for you. If you work for an employer and you get more productive, um, that translates potentially into free time. And if you have too much free time, at least most of the employers I've ever seen, they're not going to say, oh, wow, you have free time. You must be being really productive. Let's give you a raise. What they say instead is, oh, you have free time. Well, we must not have given you enough work. So here, <laughs> let us give you more work. And of course, we're not going to give you a raise because we, we had been underemploying you before. So if you're self-employed, then you actually can get the benefits of a productivity increase because, because you're the, you're the boss. And so you can say, wow, I'm getting the same amount of work done in half the time. I'm going to take half the day off. What you need to be aware of is being self-employed. And instead of saying, now I'm going to take half the day off, you say, Oh, wow, I'm self-employed. I just doubled my productivity. Now I'm going to take on five new projects. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that's my personality and that I do that all the time, but one could imagine that I might know from personal experience <laughs> that if you're self-employed and you increase your productivity, it's possible to simply use that to make life worse for you <laughs> as opposed to better. I wholeheartedly agree. There is, I mean, you're, you're hinting at the reason there, your, your dislike of, or I wouldn't say dislike, but your, your no, I will. I'll say your dislike of productivity, <laughs> uh, or at least what it can be used for sometimes as a double-edged sword, is a lot of the reasons why I called this show, you know, beyond the to-do list. It's it's not just about the to-do list in and of itself as the productivity hack or you know cornerstone. We talk about much more than that. We go beyond all the productivity stuff as a whole into what that can do for you, what that should be doing for you, which is. Again, what you were hinting at, that having a better life, a happier life, being more present with people, relationships, all these things that aren't technology, you know? So I went out to dinner for my birthday, and at the next table, there were four people. They came in, sat down, all of them pulled out their phones, and they were sitting there typing on their phones. Uh, like, and I was looking at this, there was no interaction. I was thinking, why in the world are these people even out to dinner? So I got out my phone and I took a picture of it and I just tweeted that right out. And I said, look at these silly people on their phones when they could be having a delicious dinner. Actually, I didn't do that. I kept my phone in my pocket. But, you know, I was looking at this and I was going, what, like, what's up with that? And by the way, I do do this too. I mean, I'm, I'm not immune to it, but it's, it's weird because some of it's fear of missing out, but, but some of it, like, I don't get why when I'm talking to you, I might feel the urge to pull my phone out and tweet someone else or talk to someone else or message them or check. Like, why would I do that? Back before I had a smartphone, and I am old enough to have had had life as an adult without a smartphone, I, like, I, it, it wasn't like I would sit around with people 
And they would pause for a second, and I would think, I wish I had some device that would enable me to connect to other people and read news articles while this stupid person is taking three and a half seconds to collect their thoughts. Like, that wasn't something that was missing from my life. So it's very weird to me how unbelievably addictive it is now that it's present. And people under people under 25 or 30 may not even be able to conceive of it because literally they have never had the experience of spending substantial time. I mean, maybe they've done it once or twice as on a lark, but they haven't had the experience of living their life in a way where, where they are present because they don't really have a choice. And, uh, you know, and so I don't know. It's, it's very strange. We've created a world that I'm not convinced is healthy. I yes. Guess. Well, and, and here's the thing is it's, I, I talk about this all the time um, in terms of technology is kind of like uh, Iron Man. It's putting on, this extra suit of technology on top of who you already are. And so it's not that we weren't already easily distractible. It's that the tool came along that made it so much easier to jump in and go everywhere else in the world other than where we already were. We already had that ability to do that up in our brain and go think thoughts and daydream, et cetera. But that's inherently at least somewhat more healthy, at least in, unless you're sitting in a classroom like it was for me when I was young. So, right. Well, <laughs> I, I, no, I think, I think it's, it's really important to look at how we use our brains because in the tech community, and I live in Boston and I have a lot of friends who are heavily involved in tech and they're in the science community. And <clears throat> there's this subsegment of people who are just obsessed with things like, taking pills to make themselves smarter and doing, excuse me, doing these incredible cocktails of neurotransmitters and, and trying to eat these diets that's going to increase their brain power. And I always listen to this. And I think, I think why, like you don't know how to use the brain you have now. What, what do you think increased brain power is going to do for you? If you can't concentrate long enough to read a thousand word article, because what increased brain power does is it enables you to process more information. But if you don't have the attention span to be able to take in more information and think about it, and you don't give yourself the downtime to ponder it and make new connections, because by the way, that's what happens in our brains is we make connections between things. And if the thing isn't in your brain, you can't make a connection to it, which is one of the reasons that having access to Wikipedia is not a substitute for learning. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I'm like, I'm like, you know, learn how to use the brain you have now well. And then once you can do that, then it might make sense to increase your brain power. But I, I find it fascinating, our, our obsession with things like brain power, and then also the belief that increased brain power will lead to different outcomes. Like, I think, I think it's starting from the wrong place. I think instead of starting from how can I take this cocktail of stuff to increase my productivity, to increase my brain power, you should start from what is it that I'm trying to accomplish that I'm not getting? Because an awful lot of the time, what's standing in your way is not a lack of brain power. It's not a lack of productivity. It's that you're doing the wrong thing in the first place. You've chosen something that isn't a solution to whatever problem you're trying to solve. If the problem is I want more free time to spend with my friends and family and loved ones or to go ponder or to write my book, the answer is not necessarily a better app or more brain power. The answer is you need to learn how to say no, because if you don't say no to the things that are taking the time that you would otherwise spend doing these things, then it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how much you can process. If you, you still can't say no, because saying no has nothing to do with being intelligent. 
Um, so no matter how intelligent you are, you won't be able to say no. If you're not able to say no, you still won't be able to do the thing you want to do. And you'll wonder why. I can't do the thing I want to do. Maybe I need another degree. And then you'll go back to school. And much to your surprise, you'll discover grad school also doesn't give you the time to do the things you want to do. Don't ask how I know that. I'm seeing kind of a parallel going on here as well with what we're talking about, about choosing the right things to use our brain for and saying no, as well as going back to multitasking. It's almost like we're trying to multitask with the not just our tasks, but like the macro larger categories of our lives. We're trying to be present with friends as well as do work, as well as uh, you know, send pictures to mom as well as text with son or daughter or, you know, all of the above when what we really need to do is, again, macro level, say what's most important and then maybe even just do speed dating for some of this stuff, too. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, one of the things also that's interesting about technology and media is it's given us a glimpse into so many different lives, so many different instances or incidents that are happening around the world. Your phone really is a window or your desktop, whatever, whatever you're using, is a window into so much more experience than most people could even have conceived of 200 years ago. And our brains are, in fact, built to some degree to explore our environments and to seek out novelty. But we're not actually built to seek out the level of novelty that we have access to. And by the way, let's be really, really clear that the entire, you know, the entire advertising industry, Google, Apple, Facebook, the 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 phone companies that put out Android, like everyone in tech is is conspiring to hijack your brain and exploit this. So it's not like there's some secret person somewhere in Silicon Valley going, wow, let's actually make things that make people productive and that help them relax and that help them get a control and a handle on their life. They are not doing that. All of those business models are driven by consistently pushing you to be dissatisfied and to seek out more and to be reactive. Um, but what it means is that because you have a device that can do all of these things, that can talk to mom, that can help you compose a letter, that can show you incoming email, you expect yourself to do those. And you want to do them because all of them are fun, interesting things to do. But there's too many of them. They just don't fit. I was thinking about this recently. I'm I'm doing some outreach and I pulled up my address book and this is, this is just my personal address book. Never mind LinkedIn or Facebook or any of those. This is just the address book I have sitting on my desktop. And I've got, I've got 3,000, <coughs> excuse me, not 3,000, 5,000. I've got like 5,300 people in my contacts book. And I'm looking at this going, there is simply no way without a staff that I could ever have even maintained 5,000 people's contact information a hundred years ago. In fact, I probably wouldn't have met 5,000 people in my life whose contact information that I would get. And just because I have all of that doesn't mean that I can usefully and productively use it. And furthermore, having all of it in some ways is actually a burden because I keep thinking I can use it. So because I'm thinking that, there's a degree to which I feel like I'm missing out of my own address book, right? It's like I, I it's in one year. In one year, let's see, there's 365 days a year. So uh, 5,000 people divided by 365. If I wanted to try to touch base with every person in my address book once a year, I would have to touch base with 14 people a day, 365 days. That's not going to happen. And if it did happen, and God forbid someone wrote back, 
then I'd have to respond to that. But I'm busy typing messages to the other 4,999 people. I don't have time to do a, a full-on conversation with someone. Jeez. The reality is we have limited time. We have limited attention. We have limited bandwidth. And I think one of the big skills about being an adult, which I wish our technology helped with, and again, it does exactly the opposite. It, it, it explicitly makes this harder. Uh, but I think one of the things about being an adult that one has to confront is life you don't have time for everything. You don't have energy for everything. You don't have the bandwidth for everything. You need to be deliberate. You need to pick and choose which things you're going to give your attention to. In fact, actually, it's really funny that that we got on this, although maybe it isn't because I'm sure I've made the connection unconsciously or something. My Get It Done Guy episode that's coming out, uh, I think, I think a, uh, hmm, either it came out tonight or it's coming out next Tuesday. I don't remember which. But my Get It Done Guy episode is on the dangers of high-quality content because there's so much talk about fake news and we used to talk about clickbait that it's easy to think, oh, if I'm just reading lots of really high-quality, well-written stuff from credible sources, that's improving my life in some fashion. And I submit that it's not. Once upon a time, high-quality, well-written content was relatively rare. So when you got it, it was better than nothing. But you now have access to more of that than you could read in a dozen lifetimes. So rather than just letting your brain bounce around from topic to topic, it's, it's like Ted. I think Ted is one of the, Ted and TEDx are one of the worst things to happen to the human race because they have taken ideas worth spreading and ideas worth contemplating and thinking about and integrating into your life. And they've turned them into the equivalent of mental popcorn. Oh yeah. I watched 957 TED talks last month. I'm like, <laughs> really? Did you integrate any of them into your behavior? Did you think about them deeply enough to make any leaps that weren't actually just presented in the talk? Did they change the way you lived your life? And the answer to all those questions, of course, is no. In fact, I can even say, can you tell me which ones you watched? And they'll say, oh, I watched this really good one by this famous person, right? I know you did. Can you tell me about any of the other ones? Well, I don't really remember. Okay. <laughs> so, so what use was all of that great information? The answer was it was entertainment. And... If you're going to be spending your time reading, for goodness sake, what you read is what goes in your brain, and that's what's going to bounce around and eventually produce produce original and interesting thoughts and things that get that's going to enrich your life. So if if you're going to be filling your brain with high quality content, decide which content to fill it with in advance. Don't just follow whatever high quality content pops up in your sphere. I mean, if you're in the mood for something new and you want to have an algorithm give you that, and by the way, I have a, just a whole series of questions about whether or not that's a smart tactic for how to discover new things. But if, if you want to discover new things, sure, then and go look at your social media feed and see what just happens to pop up. But generally speaking, I would say, you know, decide what are the things you want to learn. What are the new capabilities you want in your life? Where is your life not working and how do you want it working? So let's say uh, I want to spend more time with my loved ones. And so I need to figure out how to get my job done, you know, by five o'clock. Then you know to go and specifically look for things on productivity or on how to optimize your workflow or on how to say no to your boss. You won't work late or on how to, you know, whatever the, whatever the thing is, that's the reason you can't say no, or that's the reason you're not getting out of work at five. But if you don't actually spend enough time to be deliberate about it, then you're not going to seek out enough information to really learn how to do something. Because you, generally speaking, except for fairly trivial tips, my five-minute tips, of course, are not trivial. They're all deep and profound. But, 
one could argue that there are very few tips that one could get in five minutes or in a 300-word blog post that are actually going to transform your life. And you don't need 500 tips to transform your life. You know, I am so thrilled that you have stuck with my podcast through 500 tips. But for goodness sake, you know, I, if you want a tip that will transform your productivity, he, he, I'll give you two tips that will transform your productivity. Tip number one, learn how to touch type if you don't know how to already. If you do know how to already, drill yourself until you can increase your typing speed by 10%. And since most of our jobs consist of tremendous amounts of typing, that will increase your overall productivity on everything you do that involves typing by 10%. Uh, and do the same for reading. If you don't read at least 1,500 words a minute, which I believe is the theoretical maximum if you subvocalize, and most people subvocalize, if you don't read at least that, drill yourself until you can read that, until you can look at a screen and scan your eye over the screen and know everything that's on the screen and know what it says and understand it because that's the other half of your job. Most people have a job that consists entirely of reading and writing or of 95% reading and writing. So if you really want to get good at stuff, forget all the other tips, just take speed reading courses and, uh, and touch typing courses. I couldn't agree more. This, and I won't go into too much about what the sub-vocalization thing is, but I'll say that, one, look it up. It is worth your time to look up and see because that was one of the things that I realized, even though I had a very fast reading speed, that was something that was actually slowing me down. And once I got rid of that, it jumped way up. And yeah, you're, you're dead on. Right, The reading and the writing. We've talked a bit about technology. We've talked a bit about intentionality in terms of choosing things. I want to actually bring up something that technology can be one of the benefits for because we yes. did talk about that earlier. And it's also kind of going back to what we were originally talking about, which was partially multitasking and partially getting stuff done while it's not necessarily you that's doing it. So we're going to talk here a little bit about automating and or even then getting back into humans with delegating, although you can delegate to a computer, I guess. But using the code words here that I think people are going to be like, what are you talking about? Is for you, it's this phrase, doing something while pregnant. <laughs> and by doing something while pregnant, it means that basically, you know, and we won't go into the details here, but setting yourself up to be pregnant as a woman would find herself to be, she now doesn't have, uh, she now doesn't have to do anything else other than let that process continue. Okay. But mm -hmm. then she can do other things and work on other things. So it's kind of taking that mindset. And even an, another example would be if you, uh, put something, you, you prepared something, put it into the oven and then put it in the oven for us for, I mean, what is it an, for an hour? It doesn't make sense for you to then stand there staring at the oven door while the tool you've set aside to do the rest of the work for you does its work, you can go do other things. So, <laughs> yes. And, and well-automated stuff absolutely has that attribute. Uh, there are a couple of things to be careful of with automation. Um, one is you want to design good automation. You want to make sure that whatever you automate, you really have considered all of the different cases that are going to, that are going to crop up so that the automation works. And there are some truly amazing tools out on the internet these days. There's one called uh, If This Then That, I-F-T-T-T, -T, where you can set it up to do things where if, like if a, if a, an email 
comes in to a Gmail account, it will automatically take that email and parse out fields from it and put it in a spreadsheet for you. Or it will activate some other program. I mean, it's, it's truly cool. Um, and then there's also one called Zapier, Z-A-P-I-E-R. And I use both of those to automate entire workflows. And they're very cool. Uh, the risk of automation is that the automation could break. If you're automating by using something like Zapier or IFTTT, and these are services that piece together other services. So the example I just gave with receiving an email and putting information from that email in a spreadsheet, that is that depends upon Google to keep working, Gmail and, G- and Google Sheets, and Zapier or IFTTT, whichever one you're using. So what that means is you now have three points of failure. And if something goes wrong with one of those three things, then there's no one really you can call because there's no one in charge of all of that. So this gets to the next thing about automation, which is that that you can definitely do it. You want to design it carefully and you want to think through how are you going to recover if some part of it fails? Because there is just nothing as charming as making your entire depis- your entire business depend on some type of automation and then having that automation fail and you have no way to fix it, right? It's like if your invoicing system is all in the cloud and something goes wrong with your internet connection or your invoice financial people get hacked and you don't have separate copies of those invoices, well, guess what? Your entire business could go under. I know someone that this happened to. So you want to be careful with automation, that you design the automation carefully, that you know who the different players are that your business or your life now depends on and how you can call to get support if you think you may need support, you want to make sure that you do have a contingency plan in place. So if this now complicated automation breaks, you know how to quickly find what's broken and recover from it or have backup systems, uh, you know, and when I say backup systems, I don't just mean computer backups. I also mean backup systems as in, as in, oh, okay, great. Uh, Our invoicing system is down. I can just take your information by hand. And you actually have a backup paper system that you can put in place while you're fixing the automation. And keeping in mind that any automation that you're setting up, there's setup time involved. But the, you know, the, the kind of the potential, the promise there is that that setup time is going to pay off exponentially on the back end with more getting done than it would have taken you personally to do it or delegating it to somebody else. But also... Uh, more time than it, it, it's worth more the time uh, of that that initial seed plant to then get the giant tree. In other words, correct. And you have to be willing to make that trade off. You have to know if you're going to automate something, there is a little bit of time at the beginning where you're not going to, you know, where where you're going to be spending time automating, and that's going to overload you because for some period of time you need to both be both be constructing the automation and also still processing everything by hand because it's not automated yet but that's fine like understand that's a temporary thing and once you're through that phase and you shift everything off onto the automation or frankly this is the same as delegating to an assistant or to a person once you've gotten through the ramp up time then suddenly you're just like ah don't have to think about or do this anymore and yes. you know that that's such a wonderful place to be. That thing, I, <laughs> that thing is now getting done, and I'm not doing it. I can do this other thing, or I can do nothing. <laughs> right. I, I just I remember I remember when I finally so 
I, I sell these things called get it done groups, which are accountability groups. And we do do it days and speed dating and all those kinds of things to help people accomplish goals. <clears throat> and, um, uh, and when I started, I was like, look, I don't know if I'm going to be doing these for long. So I'm just going to process all of the registrations by hand. I'm going to process all of the announcements by hand and send out all the emails by hand. Well, that very, very quickly became pretty onerous. And I still remember the day that I finally figured out how to set up all of the daily reminder emails and everything to go out automatically. And there was just this one week where I, I pulled the trigger and all of these were going out automatically. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can relax now. Life is perfect. Everything is wonderful. And boy, <laughs> automation. Yay. Yes. Yes. Uh, so we've kind of come full circle to what we originally were talking about. And even with the speed dating, um, with the get it done days and or do it days, I should say, although you can get it done that day, too. I don't care. Whatever. Um, but I would love for people to be able to go and jump into more of your episodes as well as find it easy to, to grab your books as well. So where's the best place for people to go and continue this conversation into all these different threads? Sure. You can find my podcast at iTunes.com forward slash get it done guy. You can find me at steverrobbins.com. That's S-T-E-V-E-R-R-O-B-B-I-N-S.com. And you can find get it done groups at get it done groups.com. Awesome. Stever, I am just thrilled to finally have you as a guest and you delivered lots of value. Uh, the, the speed dating thing I think is going to be a huge thing for me. So I'll have to let you know how that goes. And, I, and I'm going to ask the audience as well to kind of, you know, come back around and say, have you tried it? What did you try it with? How'd it go? Et cetera. But uh, thank you so much for being here. This has been awesome. A great conversation. And I hope to have you back. Uh, my pleasure. I, 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 happy to be back. Well, that's another podcast checked off your podcast listening to-do list. Doesn't it feel good to check them off? I know it does when I'm done listening to new podcast episodes in my podcast player of choice. Speaking of that, in whatever podcast player you are listening to this in, I would love for you to hit the share button and let somebody else know. I'm not saying the world, but I'm saying probably somebody specific you thought of while listening to this. And I would love for you to share this with them, this conversation. If you know of someone that this episode would do them some good, that's the only qualification I have for you to share it with them. That being said, I want to say thank you for listening. I really enjoy the feedback that you are all giving me on the show. Thank you so much for your support of listening and partaking of the sponsors. So thank you so much, and I will see you next episode.
Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting, marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews. So you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.